you have your Bible, as I said, 1 Timothy chapter 6, looking to, uh, to uh, wrap up uh, the series this morning. Uh, how many of you uh, watched some football yesterday? Anybody? Football? Yes, yes, yes. How many of you lost some football yesterday? Anybody with me? Yes, yes. Uh, my team took it on the chin for sure. How many of you had that moment as you were watching football yesterday where your blood pressure got up, your heart rate got up, and somehow, some way, like you started moving in some, uh, you know, like involuntary manner, you know, because you weren't sure if you were going to go through the screen and actually jump on the guy who was running for the touchdown or what, or you were going to go in the other room and scream and, you know, pull your hair out or whatever. Uh, the people who know about this stuff, they call that moment of pressure, of intensity, um, the fight or flight moment, right? Where you are either, as I said, you're going to somehow miraculously teleport yourself to the stadium, arm yourself in pads and get after it, uh, or you're going to go in the other room, scream, rant, yell, and kick the dog. I mean, that's just kind of how they fight or flight. Um, uh, that, that's how people talk about this, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's a helpful thing. Um, today, especially in the first couple of verses of our passage, Paul's actually going to encourage us both toward flight and fight. And so I want to read these couple of passages, uh, excuse me, these couple of verses, think about them for a minute, and then think about some of the implications that Paul draws out. Uh, ch- starting in First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, But as for you, O man of God, um, for, uh, flee these things. What things he's talking about? Um, he's talking about all the stuff that's come before, about um, godliness being a means of gain instead of an end in itself, uh, uh, about a lack of contentment, about falling into temptation because we love money so much, about the, the love of money causing all sorts of evil, not only in our lives, but in the world. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith. Of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So uh, I want to think for just a second uh, um, about fight and flight, not 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 or, but but we would have a flight here and a fight, and that's that's what he starts with in verse eleven. But as for you, O man of God, flee, flee these things. Now, when you hear the word flee, does this sound like a gentle stroll somewhere? Like if we had a fire on this end of the building and we said everybody needs to flee out there, I hope we would do so in some orderly manner. But would we, would we casually meander, mosey even? No, what would we do? We'd get on up out of here, right? I mean, that's the plan, right? Because that's what you need to do in that moment. And in the same way, Paul says to Timothy, hey, listen, there are some things that you need to be aware of that you need to flee. Like when you come across them, you, you're walking on the path, and all of a sudden you see a copperhead, you're not thinking to yourself, eh. You're thinking, whoa, 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 you're going to back up. Flee these things. What does he say to flee? Again, he's talking about all this stuff in context, the verses before. Here's the, kind of the, the summary, though. Flee whatever spiritually clogs your heart. We've talked about this before, uh, and it is a great principle to apply over all sorts of things. Uh, Paul here is particularly talking about money, that, that s- the stuff of this earth and materialism and grief can, can, can um, kind of serve as spiritual cholesterol, Right? It clogs our hearts. It keeps our hearts from beating in sync with God and the way that they are supposed to. And so there's all sorts of things that can do that. In this particular context, he's talking about money and he's talking about stuff. He's talking about um, greed. He's talking about materialism. And he says, flee these things. Now that's not passive, folks. That's not a meandering. 
That's not something to take lightly. He's saying, hey, if there are things in your life that are spiritually um, clogging you up, you need to not just step away. You need to run away from these things. But he doesn't stop there. I mean, because that doesn't really sound like life. If I'm constantly running away from stuff, that doesn't sound like life. When he talks about taking hold of life, that's, that's not, that doesn't sound like much of a life. That sounds like running away from everything. He's saying flee these specific things, these things that clog your heart. And, and instead, what you're going that's the flight part. Here's the fight part. Fight. Fight for transformation. Look at verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. He uses two words here. In the middle of verse 11, pursue these things, fight in verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Both of these are active, very active verbs. And I know we've talked about this before. I'll say it one more time in here. Nobody just drifts into discipleship and transformation. That it has to be an intentional, thoughtful, I'm going to choose this kind of life. The, 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 the tides and the currents of our culture will not push you or land you in a place of transformation and godly character. It'll land you in a thousand other places, but godly character will not be one of those places. It, you will not drift there. You will not naturally go there. So what do you have to do? You have to choose. You have to choose that way instead. So he says, pursue these things. Um, fight the good fight of faith. What, 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 are you, what are we after here? Well, first of all, we're, when he's talking about fighting for transformation, he's talking about fighting for godly character. So he says in the middle of verse 11, pursue righteousness. Pursue excuse me, pursue godliness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue steadfastness, pursue gentleness, fighting for godly character. And you just think about those things that he rattled off, righteousness, being rightly related to the things, of, uh, uh, the things that matter most in the world. That's what righteousness is. Godliness, reflective of who God is. Faith, fight, pursue Faith and fight for faith. Pursue faith because in a world like ours, faith could really see you through some things and make a difference. Pursue love. Um, a, a kind of self-sacrificial, it's not about me and it's not on the back of my t-shirt, but it's really not about me. I'm living my life as if it's not about me. Instead, it's about others. Pursue Love, pursue steadfastness, that I'm going to stay here doing what I know I'm supposed to do, being faithful in what I'm supposed to do, um, no matter what. Pursue gentleness. I'm not going to be angry about it. Instead, I'm going to pursue these things in a manner of gentleness. Pursue these things. Fight for godly character. Right? And we've talked about this. I know we did this last week even. We've said it. Character does matter. And further... I believe that the greatest gift that we could give the world is our transformed character. The, the transformation that happens in my life, the transformation that happens in your life, godly character, that is the greatest gift that we could give to the world and to our families and to our kids and to our marriages and to our, our, our neighbors and to our coworkers and to the situations that we face, our godly character, because it will see you through long past experience, long past skill, long past training. Godly character will see you through. It's the greatest thing that we could leave, we could give to the world. And so fight for godly character. And then he says in verse 12, not, not just fight for godly character, but fight along with others. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So there's these other people who are engaged along with Timothy. 
fight the good fight of faith alongside others. In your bulletin, uh, you have a uh, little handout here um, about our groups. One of the things that we encourage you toward and very much want to, if I could, I would push you toward, uh, is being connected in, in, in some sort of group setting, a, a Bible study, a Sunday school class, a small group that meets during the week so that you can look in people's eyes, not just at the back of their heads. We say this, that transformation more consistently happens in a circle than it does in a row. And fighting alongside others means uh, that, that you get to be a part of something like that. But here's the thing. Some people think I've become a Christian now. It's me and Jesus against the world. I mean, that's just not true. It's you and Jesus and the people of Jesus against the world. That's the great thing. You, you, you not only shouldn't, or you, excuse me, you don't not only don't have to do this alone, but you can't do this alone. And here's a little 30-second illustration of that. Pretty awesome, huh? Yeah, that was actually our last deacon's meeting. That's what we did together. Curtis Ramsey was the last guy over the wall. I know you didn't recognize him, but he was. If any of those guys lined up solo, one at a time, could they have done that by themselves? Maybe a couple of them, maybe. But they couldn't have gotten everybody over the wall. If any of those guys had, or I mean, if all of those guys had lined up shoulder to shoulder and just gone at the wall altogether, could, no, they couldn't have done it. What did they need? They needed one another to get where they wanted to go. Folks, we need one another to get where we want to go. So Paul says, hey, fight alongside others. And lastly, when you're fighting for transformation, you're fighting for obedience. So keep reading verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in, the, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep, verse 14, he's charging him to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. You're fighting for obedience. You're fighting, as it says in verse 14, to keep the commandment unstained. In other words, you're not just fighting against something. You're fighting for something, and you're fighting alongside others. And, and what is it that we're fighting for? We're fighting for transformation. And will it be worth it? Absolutely, because we get to know God. We get to know this God who it says here, um, who it says he is the, uh, the blessed and only sovereign. We're going to get a new president one of these days. God will still be God, the only sovereign. He is the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. He alone, he alone has immortality. And he alone dwells in unapproachable light, but yet he comes to us and invites us to draw near. And I mean, we could keep going. Like, this is such great news. You and I, we get to fight for obedience because this is the kind of God that we're following. This is the kind of God that we're following. So when we're fighting for transformation, we're fighting for godly character, we're fighting alongside other people, and we're fighting for obedience. And Paul kind of summarizes this back in verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith, he says. He calls it 
taking hold of life. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Taking hold of life. Now remember that phrase. Because he goes on from this point forward, he goes on to apply it in a unique way. I think it's unique. Paul looks at Timothy and he says, hey, listen, in light of all of this, in light of fighting for transformation and and, um, uh, fleeing um, all this other stuff, uh, here's some ways to apply this. And he goes, remember, we're taking hold of life here. Look how he applies it, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hope on the uh, hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Set your hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Um, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, and be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves um, as a good foundation for the future, that they may take hold of that which is truly life. They may take hold of that which is truly life. That sounds a lot like take hold of eternal life, doesn't it? Paul's applying this, this um, hey, fight, 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 fight. Fight for something. Fight along pe- uh, uh, alongside others and, and fight for being obedient. He's applying this now uniquely um, to, to, to our finances. And so some people say, and maybe if you, this is your first time here, like every time I show up at church, they're talking about money. Uh, Today you hit the jackpot. I mean, congratulations. That's true. Today you should go out and buy a lotto ticket. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that for real. Uh, but he's, he's, here's how he applies this financially. When we're going to take hold of life, he's going to apply this to our finances. And he starts simply with, don't be haughty. Look, look at verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Don't be prideful, he's saying. Don't be prideful. Um, why? Well, number one, first of all, this, this God who is the only sovereign, who's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, that God opposes the proud. That's what the Bible says. You don't want to be on the other side of that fight. That's what I'm saying. And opposes is a present tense, very active word. And so it's not like he just kind of is going to let it go, let it go, let it go, and then it just slips in. No, 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 no. No, he right now is opposing the pride in my life. He right now is opposing the pride in yours. So what do we do? We humble ourselves before him instead. We say, you're God and I'm not. And this works itself out uh, in, in, in a couple of ways here. But just, just to be clear, when we are haughty, when we are prideful, it is a kind of self-idolatry because we're making ourselves the source of our own hope. And instead of uh, remembering that we're blessed to be a blessing, we think we're blessed so that we can stockpile the blessings. God wants us, as somebody has famously said, God wants us to be rivers, not reservoirs. Wherein we get to pass along his blessings instead of hoard them. We don't stockpile them. We we are blessed to be a blessing. So don't be haughty. Don't be prideful. That's the first thing he said. As far as transformation goes, can we think of a better place to start working on ourselves than our pride? I think Paul's pretty smart. He knows where to start. Instruct them not to be haughty. And he goes on. Um, Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. So the second thing he says is hope in God. Not on riches, hope in God. Um, Why don't we want to set our hope on riches? Because they're uncertain. Stock market. Okay, everybody gets it, right? Economy. Everybody gets it. Don't set your hope... um, Excuse me, don't set your hope on riches. They prove uncertain. Instead, set your hope on God. Why? Because he alone is sovereign. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He dwells, uh, he alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. Set your hope on something that can be counted on. God is certain where riches are uncertain. 
He's certain. And then, but not just that. Because he's appealing to our joy here. Look, look at what he says. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Do you see that at the end of verse 17? Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I mean, just not just what we need, but he provides everything for our joy. So just think about this. Anybody enjoy the cooler weather uh, this week? I'm not saying it was cold. I'm saying it was cooler. But there were multiple mornings where you walked outside, probably like I walked outside. I walked outside, and you know, you weren't swimming through the air to get through your car. You didn't, you know, break into full-on sweat, uh, you know, before you reached your door. Instead, you walked outside, and you thought, huh, <laughs> it's not August. It's not. He provides cooler weather for us to enjoy. Uh, I can't remember if it's this week or next week, but the super moon is coming. Or, you know, the biggest moon, we'll see the biggest moon in 50 years or whatever it's going to be. I, I mean, I just, I think we ought to walk outside and stand on our driveway with our kids and just put cr a crick in our necks, looking up, thinking about the glory of that. God made that and he made it not just uh, so that we could see it, but he made it beautiful so that it would be captivating and then think to ourselves, Dude, we put some people up there before. That's crazy. And then we think to ourselves, and it's so bright and beautiful, but it has no source of its own light. Instead, it's reflecting light that is giving it. It's reflecting light to the world that's not its own. There's a light source, and it reflects that to the world. Is this sounding familiar to anybody? A light source that's reflecting stuff to the world? Anybody coming along like you're the light of the world, the salt of the earth? Is that sounding familiar to anybody? Like we ought to have that moment where we look and go, God, you've given us a super moon to enjoy. Um, we, we ought to, a couple of weeks, sit down at Thanksgiving and we ought to enjoy and say, God, thank you. Because how do you enjoy? You receive it as a gift. Whatever comes your way, you receive it as a gift, right? I didn't earn this. God gave it to me. You use it for its in intended purpose. You use it the way that it was intended. Receive it as a gift. Use it the way it's intended. When you get food out before you, you say thanks, and then you eat, because this is the way that God... I mean, this is what we're supposed to do. God gave us the super moon so that we would look and say, that's beautiful, and tells us something about not only who God is, but who he expects us to be. We receive it as a gift, and then we use it as it's intended. And you can think about use it as it is intended over all sorts of spheres in our culture right now. And then thirdly, we say thanks. Use it as a gift. Excuse me, receive it as a gift, use it as intended, and then we get to say thanks to God. That's how we properly enjoy what he gives. Hope in God, he says. Thirdly, we get to, this is great, verse 18. They are to do what? To do good. They are to do good and be rich in good works. So, I mean, be rich, yes, but but be rich in good works. Do good. But because the temptation of those who are more affluent is sometimes to say, I don't really want to get my hands dirty in that. I'll just push some money that way. Anybody with me on that? There are times when, um, you know, you're working around the house or something and you think, I should just pay somebody to have this done, right? Anybody with me there? Anybody with me there? Okay. Thank you. Uh, uh, yeah. In the spiritual case, that's not it. Every so often, we need to get our hands dirty. Um, the temptation is, as I said, to just to throw money at it, and that way I don't have to get engaged. Paul is saying to you and to me, let's be engaged. 
Let's be engaged. You, you don't get to just throw money. Why? Because service is a discipline that has a soul-shaping power on you and me. And when we serve, we get the opportunity um, to, to make a difference. So be rich, yes, but be rich in good deeds. Be rich in good works, he says, do good. And the last one, he says to be generous. So he says at the end of verse 18, be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for yourselves or for themselves uh, as a good foundation for the future that they may take hold of that which is truly life. When we talk about being generous, we're talking about giving. And our church family kind of breaks it down in these two commitments. One is tithing. Um, Tithing is a um, Old Testament um, concept where um, you took a tenth of whatever God provided for you and gave back. And that's something that we as a church family are just committed to. So we talk about tithing. If you've not been around church before, maybe you've not heard that word before. But tithing is 10% of your um, earned income given to the local church tithing. And people need to think about that more like floor, not like ceiling. You know, I mean, you just, that's, a, that's a great place to start. And then the second thing that they talk about is offerings. Offerings are... Um, uh, things that are over and above our tithe that, that just are passions in our heart that we, that we give to. My family and I, we um, you know, are big on adoption, and so um, we find ourselves pretty often going, yes, we want to support that. So you know, we buy a T-shirt. You know, that's, it's overpriced, but it's a fundraiser, so we're doing this, right? I mean, we're not buying the T-shirt. We're giving money for the fundraiser. That's what we're doing. It's on and on. We just, these are causes that we're excited about that are, that are kingdom-related that we want to jump into. So we talk about being generous as tithing and giving offerings. And so um, I, I wanted to take just a, a couple more minutes here and just apply this to us as a church family. You good with that, everybody? Good with that? Hey, this section right here, y'all good with that? Y'all are quiet today. Uh, okay. <laughs> Must be the money thing. I'm not sure. Uh, here's what I want to do. I, I just I want to let people know kind of where we are, not only in light of the budget stuff uh, coming next week. Um, and, and just by the way, we took up our offering early on purpose. This is not about a guilt thing. This is not the pastor getting up here. You know, that's not what this is about at all. Uh, this is about us saying, if we're going to be people who are marked by the word of God, that we need to hear it and, and appropriately respond. So here's just us as a church family, our current situation. Uh, the first thing is, uh, our giving is up 3.5%. Yes, that's worth celebrating. Um, and so to bring everybody in, uh, not just the old people, we put the emojis up there too. Okay, so that's awesome. That's really incredible. Uh, our giving is up. Uh, 3.5% over last year. Pretty pretty cool. I mean, really, I'm grateful for all of that. Um, our attendance is up 15%, which is, yeah, which is awesome. And that deserves a little whoop, whoop. Yep, that's all right. That's what we're doing. Um, it's grateful. So it, hear me say this, that, that there is a, um, when we've been working on this, you know, we talk about it, our culture of invitation, where you regularly invite people to church, and then you take the opportunities to tell your story about how God's moved in your life and how he sustained you and had mercy on you and all these things. And then you, you use that as a doorway by which you can share the gospel and see people transformed, that kind of three-tier pyramid that we've talked about and talked about and talked about and talked about. It's working, and I want you to know it's working, but I also want you to know there's still empty seats in here, and you still have neighbors, 
who need to know Jesus. There are still well over 350,000 lost people in our little 4B area here um, who have no affiliation whatsoever with any sort of church, even if they call themselves Christian. They haven't been in years. So, I mean, like, there, there are people who need Jesus, and you and I get the opportunity to be a part of that. So um, I, I'm so grateful that our attendance is up, and it's incredible that that's the case. Um, man, we've got a lot more people to reach still. A lot more. A lot more. Um, and so when you take the giving is up three and a half and then the attendance is up, that delta, the difference between the two, that makes you go like this. Hmm. I mean, because it's, you know, it's a significant difference between the two. Uh, and here's what I think has gone on that would explain the difference between the two. Let me just roll this out. I want to talk about it in terms of cause and consequence and hopefully the cure. Um, the, the cause, the cause goes something like this. Our economy is not as strong as some people may want to make it out to be. Two different conversations just this week with guys in our church who said, one of them said, I've been at this company for eight years, uh, never missed our, our, you know, kind of marks, uh, our benchmarks, uh, and never missed a bonus. I'm going to miss a bonus in all four quarters this year because our work has just dried up. And that was like 25% of his income. Talked to another guy later in the week. He said, yep, uh, you know, it looks like we're getting zero bonus or maybe 50% of what has come before. I mean, it's just, you know, the economy is, it is what it is. If you don't have money, you can't give it. I get that. Uh, the second part about that, uh, in terms of the cause, uh, I think is we have some older people, faithful givers who have retired. And so again, they're not at a capacity where they can uh, give as much. All right, that's fine. Um, so then, you know, like them uh, who made a decision at some point, others have to make that same decision and step up and begin uh, to, to experience um, what it's like to faithfully give. So that's the cause in terms of the economy and some of our um, faithful givers, um, older folks uh, retiring. Uh, the second one is the consequence. And I, I want to do a not this but that in a couple of ways. Um, number one, uh, that delta between the two, the, the difference between the two, it is not impeding current ministry. We're getting everything done that we want to get done in terms of current ministry, but it is impeding future ministry. Because, uh, you know, when we have more kids at Vacation Bible School, for instance, when you have more kids at Awana or upstairs with Jam, or like it costs more to do ministry for them, right? And so it's not impeding current ministry, but it is um, impeding future ministry. Uh, a few months ago, we actually um, uh, stopped um, making some, some kind of transfers to some of our uh, future ministry accounts. I'll give you a for instance. Uh, one of the things that's in our heart, passionate about this, we want to see this happen so bad, is to plant a church. We are a church plant, Heritage Park is, and we want to plant a church also. So we have been, uh, you know, kind of strategizing. We want to get up to about 450 or 500 people in attendance and then slice off a portion of you and go plant. And to resource that, we've been putting money aside, money aside, money aside, money aside, uh, in, order to, uh, in order to help resource that when God allows us to do that. We had to stop that transfer so that we could continue current ministry. Um, another thing that is, again, passion in our hearts to do, going on around our area here uh, is a, a growing Spanish-speaking population. So we've created this new position um, of Spanish-speaking pastor. Uh, we want that person to come in whenever God brings them um, to us. We want that person to come in and to create this and kind of build it from the ground up. Um, and we've got some, some money set aside, but we don't have enough to sustain it over the long haul. So, so again, we're not impeding current ministry, 
but, but we are impeding future ministry. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, second thing uh, is in terms of consequence. That's the ministry side. The second thing um, is that we are not um, missing any bills, uh, but we are missing some investments. Uh, the lights are still on, right? I mean, I'm grateful for that. Uh, all that kind of stuff. I mean, we're paying the bills. That's not an issue. Um, but we are missing some investments. So not only did we, um, you know, stop making some investments in future ministry stuff, but we also uh, stopped making some transfers to some of our other uh, reserve accounts so that if an air conditioner goes out or something like that, you know, we've got um, some money set aside for that. We, we didn't do, uh, we're not doing that over the past few, um, past few months. Uh, those are kind of capital improvement Kind of thing. So th- that's that's where that is, and I'll just give you, um, you know, a, again a couple of examples. No no transfers to some of our reserve accounts. Uh, one of the things that we would love to do, maybe you have or have not noticed, if you've been down the the kids ministry hall or the preschool hall, um, the, uh, the the carpet in there, in those kids rooms, it's older than some of our teenagers. So you can imagine the number of goldfish that have been smashed up in there, right? I mean, like. Uh, NASA actually came in and did an experiment. No, I'm just kidding. They, they didn't do that. So, uh, but uh, that's about a forty-ish thousand dollar investment, capital-wise. So, uh, you know, we didn't find it laid out in the parking lot, forty grand. So, you know, I mean, it it comes from funds like that where we've set aside and try to be good stewards of that. So, again, d- d- don't hear me fussing. This is not me fussing. The consequence is not affecting current stuff, but it is affecting future stuff. Are you with me on that? Everybody understand? Okay. Um, If you have any questions, by the way, if you have any questions about any of this, you can come ask me, or there's multiple people I can point you to who can answer that. Here's the cure. Uh, the, The cure for this is, first of all, to have the proper attitude about all of this. And that is, one, we're blessed, and it's all God's anyway. The earth, the, Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What does fullness mean? Fullness means like everything in it. So my, everything that I have is God's. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. So the proper attitude is it's all his and whatever he wants back, whatever he wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do because I'm a manager. I am not an owner. It's all his. That's a proper attitude. And then that proper attitude leads to proper action that we would give regularly and we would give um, generously. Uh, we would give spontaneously. We would give out of the, the, um, the things that God has worked in our lives. We would give regularly. Proper attitude it's all his leads to proper action giving. And some people, when they encounter something like this, they come up with uh, maybe two or three things. And I heard actually three of these this week in, in different conversations. Here are just some statements. See if you identify with any of them. Uh, number one, I just didn't know. I just didn't know that it was a thing. Um, it, for us as a church, uh, we don't have any other source of income. I mean, like we don't have a foundation. We don't have a mutual fund. We don't have a you know, a, another organization that shuffles money back and forth, like it's us, this is us. Every dollar that comes uh, to our church for ministry's sake comes from us collectively. I give, you give, we give, this is, this is the funds. I just didn't know. So if you didn't know, that's the deal, that's the deal. And uh, if, if that has kept you from giving before, I just want to invite you into this to say this is, a, this is an incredible journey. Uh, where you get to trust God with that portion of your life as well. Secondly, I've been hurt before. I've had that conversation this week. I've had people, uh, you know, who they, they did the church wrong and so forth and so on. Uh, I personally know of two different churches, churches that I'm close to, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars walked out the door with somebody. What I would say to you about that is we have nothing to hide. You come next week, 
um, Sunday night. Um, look at the look at the budget. We'll print it all out. We print out everything: salaries, uh, or I should say, salary packages. Um, I mean, all this kind of like whatever you want to know. It's there. Furthermore, I've got one, two, three. I think I think four of our five finance people are in here. Uh, you, you want to talk to them? I'll point them out to you. I'll just start naming names and pointing them out. Um, we have absolutely nothing to hide. So if you've been hurt before, don't let the enemy use that um, to to you know kind of quench your desire for obedience. Uh, so thirdly, I just don't see it making a difference. And this is one of the ones I had this week. It was a it was a big one uh, because uh, people don't understand that you know lights on do make a difference. I mean that that's an important thing. Most of us have gotten used to the whole kick. I mean Kickstarter giving. Kickstarter anybody. Kickstarter, just ringing any bells with you people. Kickstarter's online thing where somebody comes up with an idea, hey, we need to raise X number of thousands of dollars or whatever, and then we'll create the idea and you get something back. That's the main part, is that you get something back on the deal. So they'll give if they're getting something back. But the problem with that kind of giving is it still puts me at the center of that. I'm still there in the middle of it. I'm only giving because I'm going to get something back. There's no like dislodging of the self. And so um, in this way, when we talk about seeing it making a difference, I just want to say, man, let's not be Kickstarter givers when it comes to handling God's money because it is God's. Let's instead, um, let, let's instead be as generous as possible. And for our part as a church, I say to you, I don't see it making a difference. First of all, we don't have any fat in our budget. That's number one. Secondly, it is making a difference. Um, you know, this week, I, this, is, this is me, just me. Listen to kids quote scripture that they learned in Awana that was funded by dollars that were given. Listen to a student talk about what God was doing in her life. Student ministry funded by your dollars. Um, had three different lunches this week with adults who God was doing great things in their life and a, and a good portion of that belonged, uh, the, the credit of that belonged directly to people in their life who are in this church who are in ministry doing things for them. I just tell you, God is up to good things here. You look around and you see what all he's doing, all that stuff, he's up to good things here. And so don't, um, don't, don't buy, if you will, the lie that you don't see it making a difference. We're used to give something, get something. This is a, uh, you know, give something because it's God's anyway. Can you imagine if we treated the electric company like give something? You know what I mean? Like that would not particularly go well. Number four, I, I, I just don't know if I can. I just don't know if I can. And again, if your house is not in order, believe me, I understand. That's why we're offering financial peace, university, and other courses uh, I mean, and uh, we will offer it again, and I'm sure at some point, just to help people get their house in order. But here's the deal. We, we don't lack testimonies of how God's moved in this area. Somebody this week said, I was sitting in a small group. They said, hey, this is what God expects, 10%. And, um, and I was like, huh, I wonder how much I'm giving. I went back, looked at our finances. We gave half a percent. Looked at my wife. And this is the guy telling the story. I looked at my wife, and I said, hey, 10%, half a percent. We got a long way to go. So, quote, we jumped in cold turkey, and it was hard to write the first check, but we've never looked back, and we've never regretted it. Talked to somebody else this week at lunch, sitting down. He said, yeah, uh, back in the earlier days of their um, life uh, together in marriage, he said, you know, got laid off in one of the transitions at NASA, and, uh, uh, you know, was on un unemployment for a couple of months, and uh, prospects had started to pick up a little bit, but I remember looking at the unemployment check that I got in the mail and thinking, God's provided for me. I need to tithe on this. We had a guy, I'm 
back in the day before me. Had, had a guy tithe on an unemployment check. That's crazy, huh? I mean, just, he said, we never regretted it. We never regretted it. I don't know if I can. Here's what I would say. We don't lack testimonies of people who were in your seat and then did, and God did incredible things. And lastly, I just, it's just not that important. Here's what I would say to you, but we have this command. We have this command to give, and we have this promise, this promise of getting to participate in what God is doing. Then we have this calling that says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So you get to direct your heart with your treasure. I mean, you've got this incredible thing, and it is really that important, not only to us as a church and the ministry that God's doing here, but it's important to you. It's important to you. And so here's where I want to close. Look at verse 20. Oh, Timothy, and maybe it would say, oh, church, guard the deposit entrusted to you. He's, not, he's using financial language, but he's not talking about money. He's talking about the gospel, this, this true message of what God has done for us. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing some of it, it was swerved from the faith. In other words, guard the deposit, but avoid those other distractions. And then he closes with, grace be with you. Guard the deposit. Guard it. Avoid those other distractions. And may the grace of God be with you. That's what I want to leave us with as we head to communion. May the grace of God be with us all. Let's pray together. And we'll come to celebrate communion. Take just a second and go ahead and put your stuff up or whatever you need to do. As you're doing that, time for communion is a time for reflection. So you give yourself a moment. Give yourself a moment to pray. Give yourself a moment to confess your sin, to come before God. Give yourself a moment to, if there's somebody in the room that you're not right with, to um, just maybe just grab their hand or walk over to them here in just a moment and make it right. The Bible says we don't want to take this in an unworthy manner.